Homelessness is a critical social determinant of health, and more than 3 million Americans experience homelessness every year. More than one-third of American households experience housing insecurity, which is associated with increased stress, chronic disease, and poor health outcomes. My name is Nakia Anwala, and I'm a student at the University of Michigan School of Public Health, studying community and global public health. Today, we'll be listening in on my conversation with Dr. Charlie Willison. Charlie is a political scientist studying the relationships between urban politics and public health political decision-making. Her work focuses on homelessness, housing, behavioral health policies, and disaster responses. She received her MPH at Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine and her PhD at the University of Michigan School of Public Health. She's now a National Institutes of Mental Health postdoctoral fellow at the Harvard University Department of Healthcare Policy, where she's studying political decision-making in supportive housing policy. Today, we'll be talking about homelessness policy, public health politics, and the future of homelessness and housing insecurity under the Biden administration. Thank you so much for being here today. So I just wanted to start off with asking you to introduce yourself and then just introducing your background. Sure. So I'm, I'm trying to think of where I should start. So I'm, I'm Charlie Willison. I'm a political scientist. Um, right now, I'm a postdoctoral fellow at Harvard in their Department of Healthcare Policy. And most of my research focuses on uh, explaining uh, different public health policy outcomes, why we get some policies and why we don't get others, and specifically why we get policies that address evidence-based solutions or utilize evidence-based approaches or not. And most of my research in this space focuses on harm reduction policies or policy solutions for really at-risk and disadvantaged groups, including people with multiple comorbidities um, who may require a lot of resources, but oftentimes we don't get policies uh, that actually deliver goods and services uh, to people with a lot of needs. Uh, so that's what that's what I work on um, and, and try and think about. And I do this a lot in the space of homelessness, but then also in disaster response. Thank you so much for that introduction. And I'm really excited to you know learn more about your work and really dive into our conversation today. So just to start off, so and we know that homelessness generally has not been given as much attention in the realm of public health and specifically public policy and public health policy. So I just wanted to start off by asking how you became interested in studying homelessness policy as a public health issue and how you got to where you are today. Thank you. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, so kind of on, on two, uh, two fronts of how I became interested in this. On a personal front, I had experiences with housing insecurity, not homelessness, but housing insecurity and housing quality issues growing up. So this was always something that was kind of salient in the back of my mind and then getting more interested in public health. Um, and when I did, I did my master's in public health at Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine. And we talked a lot about the social determinants of health and harm reduction policies, um, specifically why different policies um, may be used in different contexts to support people with lots of different um, needs um, or, or comorbidities or co-vulnerabilities. Uh, and so that's where I really became aware of the extent of homelessness as a public health problem um, in the United States. I also, I'm from the Midwest um, and as I'm sure uh, you and a lot of other people listening to the podcast know, 
homelessness is visible uh, much more in some areas than it is in others. And so while I was aware of this, I wasn't aware of, of the scope until I started doing some research initially um, in the context of my, my MPH. Uh, so that's how I became involved in it. And then I also became involved um, just thinking through um, about the complexity of this policy space as it relates to substance use disorders as well, which we know is obviously um, a big a big issue of concern in, in public health. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And it's so important that you're doing the work that you are today so that it, it does get more attention in public health policy spaces. So I guess going along with that, can you just sort of set the stage for folks on why homelessness is a public health issue? Of course, uh, I think it, I'm so glad that you're asking this question because unfortunately it's a topic that isn't always categorized as a public health issue. I think maybe now it is more just as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, but which is, which is really important that this is changing. But just to set the stage of why homelessness uh, is a public health problem and why we should think about it in this way, I think homelessness is one of the most illustrative public health uh, examples that we have um, in terms of the scope, so how many people it affects, um, but also in terms of its effects on health acutely um, and in the long term. So homelessness actually affects millions of Americans every year. Um, this more than the number of people diagnosed with opioid um, use, substance use disorders, and uh, which is obviously identified as a major public health problem in the United States. But then we can also think about beyond the scope, just what the effects of homelessness for, for public health outcomes specifically. Um, and a public health lens adds value due to the undeniable long-term consequences for population health arising from homelessness. Um, homelessness significantly increases an individual's likelihood of mortality, rates of chronic and infectious diseases, and adverse behavioral health outcomes, including severe mental illness and substance use disorders. And importantly, even if an individual experiences just a single episode of homelessness during their lifetime, the influence of homelessness on health outcomes is substantial. Episodes of homelessness also negatively affect educational and job attainment, contributing to adverse health outcomes across the life course compared to persons who never experience homelessness. So big disparities here. Um, durations of homelessness so, or how long someone experiences homelessness further exacerbate the influence of homelessness on harmful health outcomes. Longer durations of homelessness are associated with even higher rates of adverse health outcomes, again, compared to single uh, episodes of homelessness. Then these examples are mortality, rates of chronic and infectious diseases, it's for mental illness and substance use disorders. Um, and the longer a duration also uh, grossly aggravates disparities in mortality rates. So for example, people who experience unsheltered homelessness, or if you have gone for a walk in Washington DC or San Francisco or Los Angeles, pre-pandemic um, or even during the pandemic, depending on where you're located right now and see people sleeping on the streets um, unsheltered. This is what we think of as unsheltered homelessness um, or street homelessness. Um, so people who don't have access to formal sleeping quarters, they face mortality rates 10 times higher than the general population. And persons experiencing sheltered homelessness, so people who uh, pre-pandemic were in congregate um, shelter facilities, so like they did have a bed at a, at a church or a homeless shelter or the like, or even at a hospital sometimes, um, they, they still face mortality rates 
three times higher than the general population. So all in all, uh, the relationship between public health and homelessness is, is really intractable. And I think going forward as we're experiencing anthropogenic climate change, people who are experiencing homelessness, especially unsheltered populations, are at the highest risk of these adverse climate effects as well. I think you gave a really, really powerful illustration of how homelessness really is a cross-cutting issue throughout public health. It intersects with food insecurity and it intersects with unemployment um, and so many other social determinants of health. So I think that's a really powerful and illustrative representation of how homelessness really is a public health issue. So thank you for setting the stage for that. Just as a follow-up, so we know that Black and Indigenous communities are disproportionately affected by homelessness. Can you talk about the structural and systemic causes for homelessness in these communities and how these injustices persist today and what this means for the public health of these communities? That's such such an important question. Thank you so much uh, for asking that. Um, I think sometimes when we talk about public health and we think about the social determinants of health, um, that language, depending on how we're thinking of the social determinants of health, can obscure um, some of the the true causes of the social determinants of health themselves. Um, So when we look at, you know, why different neighborhoods have uh, more services or less services, when we look at segregation, you know, when we look at housing quality across different neighborhoods and health outcomes across different neighborhoods, we, we need to remember that there's a reason why these neighborhoods and these different distribution of goods and services occurred based on demographic lines. This, this isn't an accident. So, so this is, this, and, and it's so important for understanding homelessness as a public health problem um, in black and brown communities. So we have to remember that the United States is an economy that was founded on slavery and the exploitation of indigenous persons, where not all Americans had full rights as citizens until the Voting Rights Act was enacted in the 1970s. That's not that long ago. This, along with other similar policies, such as redlining or the the denial of federally backed mortgages for Black Americans, led to serious uh, wealth disparities um, that we still see today for Black and Brown families, where they have intergenerational assets um, to protect them in times of crisis or need, they weren't able to build those up as a, as a result of these, of these racist policies um, that, that were set up throughout um, the history of the United States compared to, to white families. So this leads to these, these, these disparate wealth disparities that put black and brown families at higher risk of housing insecurity and homelessness. So it's a big, it's a big problem, um, it's a big challenge, and there's a lot we can do to remedy this in terms of redistributing access to goods and services and thinking about how we can help black and brown families Im- improve their intergenerational assets in ways that they were previously uh, unable to do as a result of these strategically restrictive policies. Um, So I think it's always important to contextualize uh, the social determinants of health. I know you touched on how some policies can remedy this. So what policies do you think would be most effective at, at solving this issue within these communities? a great question. So there are lots of different policies. Um, I'll talk about a couple, and this is actually, there's some related to um, what the Biden administration is currently working on in the United States. Um, But I'll say uh, one uh, relates to uh, representation and government and thinking about who has a voice in these decision-making processes related to like 
where affordable housing is built or who gets access to it. Um, and then the other one is a, is a redistributive strategy. Um, so, uh, or a couple of redistributive strategies. So first, when we're thinking about decision-making in communities, um, so the primary cause of homelessness in the United States is economic. There is obviously a strong association with severe mental illness and substance use disorders um, when people experience homelessness um, because it's such a stressful and traumatizing experience. Um, but the majority of, uh, of cases of homelessness are, are short-term um, and they're a result of, again, just being, not being able to afford housing um, or not having a personal safety net that keeps you out of homelessness. So a solution to this is to build more affordable housing and help people be able to afford a place to live so they don't experience homelessness. And one of one of the biggest barriers to doing this is um, when we have uh, community meetings uh, in local government, um, when there's a a proposal to build a new building of mixed income or affordable housing units there's a big disparity across the nation in terms of who shows up uh, to, uh, to debate whether or not that building should go forward. And what we end up seeing is that across the board, um, there is strong opposition to building new housing construction, regardless of whether or not it's affordable housing, but especially strong opposition to building affordable housing. And in particular, a big, a big challenge here is that the majority of people who participate in these debates are white homeowners. So people who would benefit um, from affordable housing typically don't have a seat at the table. Um, sometimes the only people that show up to these debates are the builders themselves. They will actually like send representatives. Um, so in terms of thinking about representation, thinking about who has a voice at the table, I think we can do more as communities to actually create a community engaged process by offering different modes of participation uh, just beyond formal meeting um, minutes. And then also there's a lot of debate um, in, in public health um, and in, in housing politics about uh, zoning communities. So having debates over zoning as opposed to individual buildings so that there, there can be a larger debate uh, at the community level, doing specific outreach to different beneficiaries and stakeholders but so then we can say, oh, we're going to, this is going to be an area where we just build more housing as opposed to having little holdups along the way with uh, permitting each, each building itself. Um, so that's, that's one is thinking about representation. Um, the other one, there's some really exciting stuff that the Biden administration is talking about um, with housing uh, vouchers specifically. And again, because housing or lack of affordable housing is the primary cause of homelessness, if we can keep people housed, then that's going to solve a lot. Um, historically, there's a lot of discrimination in housing vouchers. This usually goes through the Section 8 program um, where families, if they're spending more than 30% of their income on housing, they can be eligible for a housing voucher. But this program has been chronically underfunded, so there aren't enough vouchers to go around. And then the families or the individuals themselves have to go out and find that housing and try and find someone who will accept that voucher. But because it isn't, it doesn't pay as much as you could get from just you know putting it 
into the typical uh, market uh, rate, land owners are disincentivized from doing so. And there's also just a lot of racial discrimination in these processes. So what the Biden administration is trying to do um, is they're trying to put a lot of money into Section 8 vouchers, and they're trying to create a universal voucher system where land owners or property owners are not allowed to uh, reject those vouchers. And the idea too is just to, instead of, um, Again, saying that, oh, affordable housing can't be in this location, but it can be in this location instead of restricting um, where people can live, which can also fragment families and social networks, um, just to give people more, more choice over their, their housing options as well. So I think it'll be exciting to see how that pans out. Yeah, thank you so much for that, especially with the new Biden administration. I think, you know, policy in the homelessness area will really you know, be a lot more developed and compared to, you know, the previous administration and really focusing on the health outcomes of these, uh, of these communities. So yeah, thank you so much for going over that. So I guess more of like a pivot to another part of the conversation that I wanted to touch on. So can you just talk a bit about your current work as a postdoctoral fellow at Harvard and describe what that entails and, you know, your work currently? Sure. So I'll talk about one project that I'm currently doing at Harvard, um, and it's in collaboration with, or it's actually with, with some support from the Harvard Institute on Health and Homelessness, um, which is a really exciting initiative. Um, there are, there used to be no academic centers um, that were engaged specifically in the study of homelessness. As you brought up, homelessness has been broadly overlooked as a public health problem, as a public policy issue in the United States. Um, and similarly in research, it has just been pretty obscured. So it's really exciting that new centers are starting up to strategically invest um, in, in research into this area so we can help improve policy design, um, improve practice, uh, and improve outcomes for people who are at risk of or experiencing homelessness. So I'm a part of that network, which has been great to engage in scholars. Also, if anyone is interested, there is another bigger center. The biggest center is at uh, the University of California, San Francisco, um, and they have um, the Benioff uh, Center um, on homelessness specifically. I can't remember the full name, um, but uh, they're doing a lot of really wonderful work too. So uh, this, this project, um, supported by the Harvard Initiative on Health and Homelessness. Um, and what I'm doing is I'm, uh, I've created a survey that uh, Nakia is, thank you, is helping me out with um, to look at uh, the different governance structures that we have for addressing homelessness in the United States. Um, it might be surprising to any of you who are listening uh, to know that we actually don't really know anything about the entities that are responsible for designing and implementing solutions to homelessness in the United States. So I think a, a comparison would be if we didn't know anything about local public health departments in terms of where they were located, who ran them, um, how they worked day to day, and, and what, what that meant for their outcomes. Um, but this is the case with homelessness policy where there are entities called the continuums of care. They're broadly associated with um, municipalities or cities and counties across the United States. And they receive federal funding to address uh, or hopefully prevent and end homelessness in their jurisdictions. But a lot of them are organized in many different ways. Some are entirely volunteer run, some are integrated into uh, local government, like in local departments of public health. Um, 
and some are a mix, uh, but there's no record of what these organizations look like, uh, which can obviously make it very challenging to see what different policy strategies work um, and what different governance structures work to best design and implement evidence-based practices uh, to, to successfully address homelessness. So I've set up this survey. Um, we did the first, first round and got one year of data collection. Um, and then going forward, uh, I'm hoping that this will be a longitudinal study so we can see how the continuums of care are changing over time um, and how their different policy resources change over time. And then what that really means for their ability or their capacity to address and end homelessness in their jurisdictions. So just to understand a little bit about how homelessness policy is addressed in the United States, it uh, works through a informal network that is pretty inconsistent with how we think of other public health policies in terms of how the policies get made and then get implemented. So we usually think about state government and local government. And then in addition to that, we think about other nonprofit, non-governmental and private actors that are usually except in healthcare, where we know that much of this is privately um, organized uh, and, and delivered. Um, but in public health, we think a lot about government and the role of government. And then also, obviously, these uh, kind of supplementary um, social systems through non-governmental organizations. The way that homelessness is addressed in the United States is through uh, a little known entity called the Continuums of Care. And that name might be a little confusing because it gets tossed around a lot in healthcare. Um, you know, we think about moving people from different parts of the hospital system um, to, to others, but this is referring specifically to a really broad organization of stakeholders that could be anything from a hospital, to a welfare office, to a church, to a homeless shelter. Um, and they're, they're federally designated entities or structures um, that, that exist at the local level. And so these stakeholder networks exist at the local level. Um, but basically there's, there's one organization within the continuum of care that receives federal funding to address and hopefully end homelessness. Um, so that's why these entities are federally designated. And then that entity works with this broad stakeholder network that is a part of the continuum of care to address and end homelessness. So they look very different from place to place. Um, and surprisingly, even though the federal government is giving these entities millions of dollars to address homelessness in their jurisdiction, we really don't know how each individual continuum of care is organized um, and how the different stakeholder groups work in terms of their participation in the continuum of care or not. So for example, a lot of the service providers like homeless shelters, um, they might receive funding from the continuum of care, but they might not be involved in the formal design and decision-making of, of these policies that they're subject to um, for receiving the federal funding because that's what the continuums of care do. They set the priorities for how the local jurisdiction um, is going to address homelessness. And then there's also a lot of, it's very, again, very surprising that we don't really know who sits inside that entity that's receiving the federal funding, whether they're primarily volunteer-based, whether they have full-time staff, how many full-time staff they have, whether they're a part of municipal government, whether they're not, whether they work with municipal government, whether, or they don't. 
So that's a little bit about the continuum of care um, and uh, how complex and, uh, and not transparent the, the system is or has been to date. Yeah, thank you so much for all of that background information. I think a lot of people, I know I didn't really understand what continuums of care were before I started working with you. So this is really helpful for, I'm sure for a lot of other folks who might not be aware of how, you know, how homelessness is exactly addressed in different areas. So what are some skills that you would recommend to students looking to get into the field of health policy or what do you think that they should work towards in order to make an impact? That is such a great question. Um, I think there, there are a couple of different things that I would suggest. Uh, maybe the most important is if you know of a policy area that you're interested in or a, a, a public health problem, one of the best things that you can do is to really immerse yourself in what I will call, or I'm sure what many of you have heard as the policy landscape, uh, because context matters for all of these different policies. It's so important to see where the policies have been historically, because that shapes the policies that we have today and the policies that we can have going forward. And it also allows us to observe the, the failures and the mistakes that we have made so we don't repeat them in the past. Um, so I think that's one of the most useful things that students can do uh, is just to, if, if you know uh, an area or a topic that you're interested in, go out and do a deep dive historically and contemporarily into what's going on in that policy space. And then that will also familiarize yourself with the different policy levers in your policy space that you can use to, to get engaged. Um, and that can be anything from you know, writing um, an advocacy brief to writing a public comment. If your space is one that's governed more from a regulatory or bureaucratic perspective, to getting involved in local community meetings. Um, but I think starting from the what's going on, what's happening in this policy area, because policies work in different ways in different places and through different mechanisms. Not everything happens through Congress and not everything happens through the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Um, and so just, just starting to familiarize with all yourself with all of those different systems because they are really complicated um, can be such a great benefit uh, to you and then for the systems that you're interested in working with. Yeah, thank you so much for all that advice. I know that'll be really helpful for folks who are listening in who might be from Michigan or who might not be from Michigan or just looking to get into the policy space. So I guess going along with that, what are some ways that students can get involved in supporting your work and other researchers work and you know homelessness advocates work in eliminating homelessness and housing insecurity? Such a great question, thank you. Um, so I would say that there are a lot of different things that you can do. And I would say it depends on uh, how, what kind of expertise you would like to bring to the table um, and how you feel like you would best like to get engaged. Um, I think it can, it can really be as broad or as narrow as you want, um, especially depending because there's so many intersections with homelessness with different policy issue areas, everything from education to police reform to mental health. Um, so you can think about it from, from one of those ways. Um, and I think a caveat to this is that because homelessness has been so overlooked historically, I would say that usually most of these systems are always looking for volunteers. Um, so if you wanted to do work on the ground, obviously this is something that's hard to do right now, um, but it can still happen in some ways virtually. 
oftentimes these systems are very understaffed and very under-resourced and are very appreciative of any extra help that they can get. So that's just, that's one example. Another example is because most of homelessness policy uh, exists so locally, like I was saying with the continuance of care, I would say if you feel like getting engaged uh, in, a, in a different way, thinking more about civic engagement, getting engaged in policy and politics, attend a local community meeting, whether it's um, a debate, again, about a building that, that is up, uh, that, that, that is proposed to get built, um, whether it's just a regular community meeting um, with, with the mayor and the city council, just to familiarize yourself with the local issues, because if there are uh, issues relating to homelessness in your community, um, these are things that will be debated at the local level. And this is something that you can engage directly in. Citizens are more than welcome and encouraged um, to attend uh, city council meetings, although it's something that we don't always talk about in public health, but it's definitely an easy way and a really interesting way too. Um, if you want to hear what is going on in your city from a different perspective, uh, it's a great, a great way to get engaged. Yeah, I think those are all great and really, really important ways that folks can really stay engaged in the, in the realm of homelessness and public health politics. So I guess as we're wrapping up, I just wanted to ask if you had any, you know, parting or concluding remarks. I would say that public health, um, it's so important for public health to be aware of homelessness and of other uh, categories of disadvantaged populations that we may not have always historically given time or attention to. And I think the COVID-19 pandemic has brought a lot of these issues to the forefront. And so just going forward for students when you're thinking about your careers in public health, it's always important to know what's going on in the policy landscape as a whole. So what are the broad issues? What are the really salient issues? And what are some of the less salient issues that maybe we should also be thinking about but get less attention? Just to, to think about shaping your public health practice and your engagement in public health policy throughout your career. Thank you so much, Charlie, for joining. I'm so glad we were able to have this conversation and I'm really glad we were able to take a deep dive into your work and homelessness in the United States. Of course, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to join you and thank you to everyone for listening.